Well, welcome to week 24 of our Believe series, as we continue to unpack what it means to live out the story of the Bible to become like Jesus. Uh, we are nearing completion, just a few more weeks left, 30 weeks in the series. Uh, last week, we were not here because we were all at the beach. We had a, a mini service at the beach, but uh, we will pick up. We did not skip any weeks if you weren't with us last week. Um, so week 24. As we look at what it means to think and act and to be uh, like Jesus, moving in this uh, circle diagram to understand what it really means to, to live out that life. Okay, we, we, have to, we have to think about it. We have to learn it in our heads. Okay, it's got to be part of who we are in our hearts, but it's got to transform our lives. It's got to transform who we are as individuals and as people. And as that happens, we become more and more like Jesus Christ, which is the end game goal for your life and my life. One of the things that the last couple weeks that we've been looking at, because many of the characteristics that we are studying in this portion, this last 10 weeks, is related to the fruit of the Spirit. And so we've been looking at the idea that comes out of John 15 of the vine and the branches. And this idea that you have to remain connected to Christ in order for him to do his work in you. Philippians tells us that he that began a good work in you will continue it to the day of completion. But in order for that to continue, you've got to remain in Christ, connected to the vine. If you don't, then those, those life-giving juices, if you will, will not flow and produce that fruit. As you remain okay, in Christ, then you will begin to produce fruit in your life. All right. And, of course, if you don't remain in Christ, you will produce a fruit, although the Bible calls it works of the flesh instead. Um, and the issue here is what happens? If we were to squeeze you, what comes out? All right, You are becoming something. Every one of you is. I am. Okay, And when you look back at your life and compare what you are today to, let's say, five years ago, I hope that there is some increased positivity, um, not just in your attitude, but in who you are, becoming more like Jesus. I hope that maybe five years ago, if you were a sour fruit, that you are becoming more of a mature and a ripe fruit. You know, that if you were to make a glass of whatever you are, it would be the sweet juice, not sour and bitter. And that's what we want. That's what Jesus wants. And the way for that to happen is for us to stay rooted in Christ, that he can continue to work through us. Our, our theme for today is self-control. That's the topic we want to look at. This is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's actually at the very end of the fruit of the Spirit list, but we're going to look at it today. We looked at love already. We looked at peace. We looked at joy. These characteristics that come by abiding in Christ. And today, self-control. Although we start with love, that's where everything starts. Okay, God first loved us. That's why we love Him. And as as we reciprocate that love back to God, we stay connected to the vine, to Christ, and we live our lives in Christ. Paul talks about that frequently, this in Christ aspect. But that is going to necessitate, guys, something that's very difficult for you and for me, and that's self-control. So no matter how old you are today, younger or older, self-control is something that you struggle with, every one of you. Some of you struggle with it during our services here to pay attention, to control yourself. Some of you struggle with it by getting up. Hard to get up. Got a plan for it. Some of you struggle in school with self-control, with listening to teachers or adults. Maybe it's with chores and taking out the trash. We all struggle with it, though, in a deeper area, and that's inside and those outside things that I just mentioned, they all start inside. So if we're going to deal with self-control, you've got to start on the inside. And so do I. Because that's where everything begins. What's going on in the heart? Those people that you're angry at? The words that you want to spew out of your mouth? Self-control issue. Proverbs 16.32 says, Patience is better than power, and controlling one's temper is better than capturing a city. Controlling one's temper is better than capturing a city. Like, what, what does this even mean? What kind of comparison is this? 
Well, if you capture a city, that means you're ruling. You've defeated somebody else, right? You're increasing your kingdom, if you will. And the, the writer of Proverbs says here that it's better actually to control your temper. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have a temper? How many of you, if I asked your brother or sister or your friend or your parents, if you had a temper, they would say, yeah, they've got a temper. The drop of a hat, they're upset. You're raising your hand or you've got a question? All right. Yeah, you don't have to tell me. I probably already know, actually, if you have a temper, because I've probably seen it, right? So this is Proverbs 16.32, but look at Proverbs 17.27. Proverbs 17.27 says the intelligent person restrains his words. Restrains is another word for what? Control. Control. And one who keeps a cool head is a man of understanding. Are you hot-headed? You heard that term before? Or are you cool-headed? You don't want to be hot-headed. That's a person that loses their temper. They don't have self-control. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, A man who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. Now, here's another one. It's talking about cities and tempers. But this one is saying that this man, that you don't control your temper, you're like a city who's been destroyed. Now, what do walls do in a city? Anybody know? Yes. Yes, they guard you. Okay, back in the old times, in the Bible days, you had a, a little city, a town, and it was out like maybe in the middle of nowhere. And what you would do is, is you would put walls around it to protect it so that when people came and wanted to steal your stuff, they couldn't. They first have to get through the, the walls and the gate, right? But if the walls are broken down, you've got no protection. So what are we learning here? That a man with self-control, that is like a protection in your life, a protection from what? Causing destruction for yourself and others. You know, I read a book one time called Three Seconds. And one of the illustrations in, in the book was the difference between somebody in prison and not in prison, for the most part, is three seconds. That three seconds is the three seconds it takes to think a second or a third time about what they were about to do. Three seconds, that's it. That's not a lot of time, is it? Three seconds? That could be the difference between... A life in prison and a life of freedom. Three seconds. Self-control protects you. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man holds it in check. So hold it in check is another phrase for what? Control. Self-control. So the wise man controls himself. So if you don't control yourself according to this verse, you're like a what? A fool. Now how many of you want to be a fool? Nobody does. No one wants to be a fool, right? So we need to learn what it means to have self-control then. Now, we jump to the New Testament. And in the book of Acts, chapter 24, verse 25, we have some other words surrounding this idea of self-control that help us understand how important it is to God. It says, as, as he speaks about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, leave for now, but when I find time, I'll call for you. Now, Felix here is, is a ruler. The Apostle Paul is speaking to this guy about the gospel. He says about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And what I want you to understand is notice that he's got these three connected. Righteousness, okay, being right with God, God's kingdom, salvation, self-control, and the judgment to come, God's future judgment. All three of these, he has the ideas connected. So, Here's my point. If you don't have self-control, then you're missing something related to both your understanding of righteousness and salvation and your understanding of God's future judgment, which is also part of the future salvation aspect. Does that make sense? So, salvation is connected to self-control as well. So our question, here's the key question. How does God free me from addictions and sinful habits? Your addictions and your sinful habits are the things that you don't have control over. It's called an addiction because it does what to you? What does it do? It controls you. Okay? If I take a nail gun and nail your leg to the wall... Are you getting off the wall? No, you're attached to the wall. And 
addiction is something that you're attached to. You can't free yourself from it. It controls you. You don't control it. If you had self-control over it, then you would control it, and it would not control you. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Okay, watch this video, and then we'll talk about it for a minute. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus befriended all kinds of people, even some of the most immoral people living in the towns he traveled to. This made the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, furious. They would complain about Jesus spending time with these people. Often, Jesus would tell short stories called parables that illustrated the way he felt toward people with bad reputations. One day, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger of the two sons came to him one day and said that he did not want to wait for his inheritance, but he wanted it now, before his father died. So his father agreed, giving him half of his entire wealth. The son, showing no self-control, took his inheritance, gathered his own possessions, and traveled to a distant country. There, he lived a wild life and squandered away all of the money his father had given to him. Soon, a famine hit the country he was living in. He had no food to eat and no money to support himself. So he found a job taking care of pigs. As he worked with the pigs, he was so hungry that he wished he could eat the food the pigs were being given by the workers. But no one gave him anything. Then, the son came to his senses, and he came up with the plan to return home to his father, ask forgiveness, and ask to be a hired hand on his father's land. As he was returning home, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and ran out to meet his son. When the father reached his son, he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Father, the son said, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Before the son could even ask his father to take him back as a hired hand, the father called out to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast to celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the man and his servants began to celebrate the return of his son. As they did, the older brother, who had remained home, became angry and refused to enter the feast. The father came to his older son and pleaded with him to come to the party. Look, said the son, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Most of you have probably heard it before, often called the prodigal son. In this story, though, there's a couple of very important connections with our, our topic of self-control today. You notice that the younger son, he wanted his inheritance. He wanted it now. Now, we're not going to dissect the entire story, his disrespect for his father and all the different cultural aspects involved there. What you need to know about this story is, first off, neither son in the story is a believer. Okay, The younger son, he wastes his life. He lacks self-control. The older son, I may come back to him in a minute, he has some self-control, but I want you to notice this about him. Okay, His self-control 
okay, is not spirit-led, okay? It is not spirit-led self-control. Now, you can do some things in the flesh, but notice what it said about him. He was a man that was slaving under the law system, basically, and his God, his idol in his life, was this perfectionism or righteousness of his own. Now, we need to understand something. The, the book of Romans and Galatians talks very specifically about the idea that, that you don't have any righteousness of your own. Okay? Our righteousness comes from Christ. It's the Christ's righteousness that gets put on us, imputed to us as a theological term. So that is Christ's righteousness. You don't have any. This young son, instead of waiting his time, which would be called what? Self-control. He said, no, I want it all now. Okay? And so his father gave it to him now, and then instead of wisely using it, okay, even if he got it all now, okay, he could have had some self-control. He could have invested it. He could have used it sparingly so that it would last him a long time, but instead what did he do? He squandered it. He wasted it all. Okay, This is someone who goes and, and they mow a lawn, they get 20 bucks, and they go blow the 20 bucks. That's what this kid was like. That's not wise. That's no self-control. That's just money burning a hole in your pockets, right? If you spend everything you get, that is a lack of self-control. So see, self-control affects our money. It affects many different things in our life. Sometimes we live in such a, a condition that, that we're always just focused on today and never the future. That's why some people just spend all the money they have. I've had good friends of mine tell me stories about some people that live on, on the streets. And they would get their check in the beginning of the month. They might get a check from the government for $700, their Social Security check, their welfare check, whatever check it might be. And $700. Now, that's actually enough that they could probably live for the month. That's enough, more than enough for food. And since they're living on the street, they don't actually have shelter. They actually could, with that money, go find some shelter, all right? But here, here's the deal. There's a guy, and he took $200 of that, and he went and bought a pair of Nikes. Okay? Now, why would you buy a $200 pair of Nikes when you live on the street? Well, it's the same reason that anybody mostly buys a $200 pair of Nikes. It's a what symbol? It's a status symbol. And this man, later in the month, will not have any money left. So what can he do that day that he won't be able to do later in the month? He could buy that thing that he wanted, even though it was a very bad decision in his situation. He lacked what? Self-control. Self-control. Now, we do the same thing. You think, oh, that's crazy. But we do similar things in our own life. <clears throat> There's a guy in the Bible that most of you know. His name is Samson. We may talk about him on Wednesday night. Samson was a man who lacked self-control also. He had no control when it came to women. He had little control when it came to wine, probably. He did not have control when it came to his life, honestly. He lacked self-control. He violated all sorts of laws that God put on him. And yet God used this guy, even despite these flaws. God desires to take you and move you to a place where you look like Jesus so he can most use you. Samson ended up blinded. Why did he end up blind? He ended up blind as a result of his lack of self-control. That's why. His lack of self-control. Because he didn't follow what God wanted. He didn't love after God. In the video you watched, the father celebrated the son coming home because he said he was dead and he's now alive. What you and I need to understand is that under the law, okay, if you try to live your life just based on rules, okay, that will kill you. 
It will not bring you life. But the Spirit, when God's Spirit comes into your life, He brings you life so that you can then live through His power. Now, when the Apostle Paul was writing half of the New Testament, it's about what he wrote, he wrote some letters to some young guys, some young guys that were helping some churches, being elders and pastors. And one of these letters was to a guy named Titus. I want you to see with me what he said to Titus. In Titus chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, Paul wrote, To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town, one who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. Now, go back a sec. Now, look at this verse right here. Now, see how these words are related to self-control or the lack of self-control. When you have wildness, is that self-control? When you have rebellion, is that self-control? Okay, go to the next slide. An overseer, as God's administrator, must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered. Is hot-tempered self-control? No, it's not, okay? Is arrogant self-control? No, it's not. Not addicted to wine. If you're addicted to wine, do you have self-control? No. A bully. If you're a bully, do you have self-control? No. If you're greedy for money, do you have self-control? No. No. None of these. So what do you have here? When Paul sends this guy... Okay, to instruct the churches about what kind of leaders they should have, you could sum this up. He summed it up with blameless. You could also say the idea of self-control. You've got to have a man who is self-control, a man who doesn't just let himself do whatever he wants to do, but instead he controls himself by the Spirit of God, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, and what's the next word? Self-control. Holding to the faithful message as taught, so he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. You need to be self-controlled if you want to be a leader. Some of you in here have no idea what you want to do in your life, but there's some of you that already know that you want to be a leader. You don't just want to be a follower your whole life. If you want to be a leader, you have to develop self-control. Lacking self-control is not going to put you in a position to be a good and a godly leader. When Paul writes to his young son in the faith, Titus, and he encourages him about this, it's not just for men. Look what he says to women in chapter 2 of Titus, verses 3 to 8. He says, in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, that means cutting people down, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children. To be what? Self-controlled. Self pure, homemakers, kind, submissive to their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. In how many things? Everything. everything. Who's a young man? Now, every one of you in here, okay, it's a male, is a young man. All right? Every one of you in here that's a male is a young man. All right? Some of you are boys, but. So we have covered both young men and women in this letter that Paul wrote, wrote to Titus. And all throughout it, he exhorts you to have self-control. That you have to learn to control yourself. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will be ashamed having nothing bad to say about us. If you and I don't understand and learn what it means to be self-controlled, then there is no way that we are producing the fruit that God expects and requires of us as his children who've been brought into and adopted into his family. We must stay connected to Christ in the vine so that that'll work out. I have one more verse, and then we'll dig into a passage. In 2 Peter 1, 5 to 6, 
Okay, so this is the Apostle Peter writing. He was one of Jesus' disciples, his sidekick. For the grace of God has, sorry, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with what? Self-control. Self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, And he continues with another few characteristics that we're expected to add to our faith. Now, why would Peter say you need to add some things to your faith? Isn't faith enough? See, faith means trust. And when you have faith and you trust in God, what that means is that you are going to continue to grow as you trust him. Now, I want you to think of it this way. When you have a relationship with somebody, okay, you are friends with somebody, you initially start out maybe with a certain level of trust. But as your relationship increases and deepens, the trust grows. Now, sometimes the opposite happens, but in a, a good relationship, the trust grows. Why? Because more and more things happen for you to be able to look at and say, I can trust this person in many, many, many areas. And multiple times they've demonstrated to you that they are reliable or, or faithful or trustworthy, and so your trust increases. Now, as your trust increases with Christ, what does that mean? As your faith increases in Christ, what does that mean? It means that you will add these things. It means that you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of Christ. We all start off as babies when we become a Christian. All right. Now, you only need the faith of a mustard seed. So you don't, have to, you don't have to ask, like, well, how much faith do I need? Well, the disciples actually asked that. Jesus said, a faith of mustard seed, a tiny little faith, okay, is all you need. As you have that tiny little faith, though, what does that mustard seed do? It grows. It grows. And so when you start out, you and I both, as a baby Christian, we come to Jesus trusting him that he'll take away our sins. But as we grow, we begin to learn other things. We begin to learn that we can trust him with all the problems in our life. We begin to learn as we read the Psalms that we actually can go to God when we're angry and we can trust God with our anger. Instead of letting our anger control us and going after somebody that we're angry at, we can trust God. We can bring our anger to God and then God says that he is the avenger and not us and give place for him to take vengeance if it's necessary. As your faith grows, here's what happens. See, baby Christians often have a hard time doing that. As your faith grows, you are able to trust God that he will take care of who you think are your enemies. You don't need to take care of them. He will take care of them. And he will do it the right way. Does that make sense? So when we grow in our faith, okay, these are characteristics that just like the fruit of the Spirit, as we grow, God begins to produce these in our life. In Galatians chapter 5, I want to look at Galatians 5 and a little bit in Romans 8 today to further explain this idea of self-control. In Galatians chapter 5, which is where the fruit of the Spirit is found, it's not going to be on the screen. Or actually, it is. I added it in. Okay, Galatians 5. 16 says the following. I say then, walk by the Spirit. So you're supposed to walk by what? The Spirit. The Spirit, okay? To walk means how you live your life, okay? So um, if you are controlled by your own desires, are you walking in the Spirit? No, you're not, okay? So walk in the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, I want you to make a lot of comparisons here. When you read Scripture, you have got to be able to compare words and phrases because the scriptures use metaphors and comparison statements all the time. So just look at this statement here. Walking by the Spirit, okay, and then carrying out the desires of the flesh. These are opposites. So walking by the Spirit is also living by the desires of the Spirit. So we got to talk about desires for a minute. The reason why you lack self-control is because you're desires are out of whack. Right? This is the inside stuff. This is the hard issue stuff. So in order for us to have self-control, we've got to look at where our desires are at 
and we got to look at where our desires are out of control. So, he says the flesh desires what is against the spirit. That's what kind of terminology? If you got the flesh against the spirit, what kind of situation we got? Thank you. A war. Okay? You got a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. Okay? Remember, I said we need to talk about desires. Okay? So if you got a piece of paper, you would put like two columns. On one side, you got desires of the flesh. On the other column, you got desires of the spirit. Okay? They're opposites. Alright? These are opposed. There's your war terminology again. So that you don't do what you want. So if you're a Christian, all right, now I am going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, all right, but I don't want you to tell me to be specific. If you're a Christian, have you ever done something that you wanted to, but like there's a part of you that deep down really didn't want to because you knew God didn't want you to? You ever done that? Yeah, okay. That's what we're talking about right here, okay? This is the war between the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the spirit. Now, if you've ever done that, and we've all done it, right? So if you've done that, then who won that little battle or mini war? The flesh did. The enemy did. And the spirit lost. Well, wait a minute. How did the spirit lose? Who's the spirit, guys? God, Jesus. Okay, God is the spirit. How in the world does the spirit lose against your human desires? Which one is stronger? The spirit, the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit that lives in you. Okay? The Holy Spirit is stronger than your desires. So how did your desires win? To let them instead of choosing the spirit, which means you were not walking in the spirit. You weren't listening and heeding, obeying what the spirit said. Instead, you went with the other desires that were in you. Now, here's what happens. As soon as you become saved, okay, this is from Romans 8, as soon as you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to give you new desires. stay connected to Christ, are you going to produce the fruit? No. So you've got to stay connected. This is why, when I'm telling you guys all the time you need to be in the Word and praying all the time, it's not about legalism. It's not about checking off a box. It's because here's what I know to be true. If you're in the Word, and if you're praying, you're going to be getting closer and closer to Jesus. And when you're getting closer and closer to Jesus, you know what's going to happen to your life? less and less sin, because you're going to become more like Jesus. You see that? So it's a means to an end in a sense. The word of God is to get you connected to God, so you can become like God. Are you with me? Yes. Alright. So, this war that's going on, okay? The flesh and the spirit. Alright? You've got to take some control in this. You've got to have self-control and not let your desires Rain. He continues on in the next passage. <clears throat> he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And in verse 19, he says, now the works of the flesh. Now, get this. So we just talked about desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit, right? So if you have two columns, okay, this is what you're going to put in the column that says desires of the flesh. Okay? Sexual immorality. Moral impurity and promiscuity. Now, all three of those have to do with sexual activities that you should not be involved in. Okay? Married people that don't just stay with each other, people that aren't married that are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, etc. Okay? Then he says idolatry and sorcery. Okay? Those two are actually related to wrong types of religion. Okay? Now, an idol is just anything that is more important to you than God. So, when we talk about desires of the flesh and desires of the spirit, here's what you need to understand. 
What normally happens in Christians' lives is something good becomes a god. And how does that happen? Because the desire for that good thing becomes too strong. And this is how you end up sinning. With what we just said a minute ago, your desire for that good thing okay, becomes overbearing and too strong. And you tell the Holy Spirit basically to shut up instead of letting the Holy Spirit's power and desire tell the other thing to calm down. Does that make sense? You with me? All right. So these are the works of the flesh. He continues on, and now he talks about about eight or so different characteristics related to relationships. Okay? You wonder why you have relationship problems? It's a spirit problem. It's a self-control problem. It's a desire problem. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions. These have to do with your relationship with people. And then, and envy. The last two, drunkenness and carousing, have to do with these overarching, extreme desires that you have. Okay, uh, Tim Keller calls them over-desires because it's too much. These over-desires that you have, um, and these are related to substance abuse. So the, the first two relate to, uh, first three relate to sexuality. Um, the next ones are your relationship and religion. And the last two are related to substance abuse. These things that you allow to control you. And that's the thing. Every one of these is something that you allow to control you instead of having what over it? Self-control. Self-control is part of the fruit of the spirit. So if you're not having self-control, that means you're not letting who run your life? The spirit. And that really is the ultimate key issue with self-control. The spirit is not being the king or the ruler of your life, which means who's being king? You are. You and your desires. And when you become king, this is what it was like before you got saved. Who ran your life before you got saved? You did, which means you were king. The whole point of getting saved is who becomes king? Jesus. And so what is happening when you go back to all these things listed and you live by the works of the flesh is you've gone back to who being king? Yourself. And that's a denial of Christianity. Because Christianity says that who is king? Jesus is king. Look what he says here about people that practice these things. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are not issues, guys, that are low-level, like they don't matter much. It says you won't inherit the kingdom of God. These also are not just issues that are for lost people. Galatians was written not to lost people. It was written to who? Believers. These also are not issues that only lost people deal with. Go back to the previous slide, please. Look at this list of relationship issues, okay? Right here that starts with hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and then envies on the next page. How many of you and I deal with those issues? If you don't get self-control or spirit control over those issues, then you're living in the flesh. And if you continue to live in the flesh, Paul says you're living in a way He doesn't end there, thankfully. Okay, He goes on in verse 22 to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, or faithfulness. <clears throat> uh, yeah, Kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. What has happened to our desires? 
No, no, no. What have we done with our desires? No. Last verse on the screen. We have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay? So let's try to put these pieces together. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the spirit that comes inside you. The Holy Spirit is now supposed to be your, your guidance, your direction. And your desires are what? Find it right there. Crucified the flesh. Crucified means what? Dead. Your desires die. Whose desires take over? Jesus's. God's desires take over. The Spirit's desires take over your life. So if you're living by your desires, who's not in control? God's not in control. Okay? Which means you've allowed yourself to actually get out of control in God's mind. Which means you don't have self-control. Is this making sense, guys? Okay? This is... This is a huge issue for your life and for mine. We've got to get our desires under control. You have desires for all sorts of things. How many of you have a desire for sleep? Yeah. But if you sleep all the time, okay, your desire for sleep is what? Out of control. Okay? If you don't make celebrating God and his word, getting together with God's people a priority, and you, and you make sleep a priority over that, then your sleep desire is out of control. We get together and every Sunday we eat, okay? But in America, okay, we have an eating desire that's out of control. So what do you have to do? Now listen, I love food. In fact, I did that over 80 times this past weekend. You might look at me and say, whatever, Kevin, but listen, you can't just look at someone and say whether or not they overeat or not, okay? If you're full and you're still eating, what are you doing? Overeating, which means you don't have self-control. So, now my wife does not like beans, okay? But I, I didn't used to, okay? But I really do, okay? And I really like beans and rice and chicken and beans and rice. And so Thursday, I got some extra beans that were left over from the Rotary Club, and then I made this black Thai rice this past week. And so, like, literally, like, the whole thing is just a pile of, of blackness because normally you, if you have, like, black beans on white rice, you know, and so they kind of mix. But, no, this is just, like, black rice with black beans. It's just the whole – like, you can't tell where the beans start and end and the rice starts and ends. It's all just a pile of black stuff, right? But – and then throw a little bit of chicken in there. Anyways – it was so good. So I, I just I couldn't stop eating. I just ate it and ate it. I was like, Kevin, you got to stop. So I'm pretty sure uh, I overate a little bit on the beans and rice the other day. My point is this. It's good. Like, yeah, good food, right? It's good anytime. I'll have beans and rice for breakfast, all right? But we've got to have self-control. All right. Now, I did that. I did that, let's say, once or twice over the weekend, right? All right. Is my life over? No. Okay, so I need to learn from that and then say, Kevin, self-control, right? One serving, that's it, okay? Until you're hungry again. Like, I'm hungry now, so I can have some more now, right? So, one time, two times, whatever. It's not a number on this, but here's the deal. When the scriptures talk about if you live by the flesh, here's what it's saying. If I do that every day, then who am I not listening to? God. I am not led by the led by my own desires who have controlled me. That's an addiction. That's an idol. That is sin. That is living according to the flesh. And according to Romans 8, that means I am living death. And don't have the life of the Spirit inside of me. Go back to the money illustration I used earlier. If every dollar you get, you immediately spend. What don't you have? You have no control. You have no <clears throat> self-control, spirit-led control of the resources God puts in your life. If every time you don't get your way, you get ticked off and angry and start yelling and hitting people, you have a self-control problem. Are you all with me on this? Yeah. Okay? It goes all through our life in all sorts of aspects. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, or faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Notice the last one was self-control. There's no law. That means you live by the Spirit. 
It's not a rule thing on this. You don't go look it up in the rule book. You live by the Spirit, which means you've got to stay connected to the Spirit, to Christ, right? Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires, okay? It's dead. You put it to death, okay? <clears throat> I say, Kevin, stop. No more beans and rice. You're done, right? That's what you have to do. It's dead, Okay, inside of my body saying, more beans and rice, Kevin, more beans and rice. And I say, who's that? You're dead. Holy Spirit talks. You don't live anymore. You die. Holy Spirit, what do you say? Holy Spirit says, no more beans and rice, Kevin. Are you with me? Does Holy Spirit say stuff like that? Does he? Holy Spirit can't talk? Holy Spirit's a person. Holy Spirit talks. Yeah? Holy Spirit lives inside, Holy Spirit lives inside you on top of that. Holy Spirit goes wherever you go. whole point of God giving you the Holy Spirit, according to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, is so that God would be with you all the time. The presence of God would be with you to guide you, instruct you, and teach you, and lead you. You see? You go through life. What if you don't have your Bible with you? What if everything's against you and you don't know what to do anymore? Romans 8 says you cry out, Abba, Father. The context of that passage in Romans 8 is like a war passage. If you read Romans 7, Paul talks about this very thing in Galatians. He talks about... Why do I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do? This war against the flesh and the spirit. And in Romans 8 is the answer. The answer is, Romans 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. He says, ah, but God has given us the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, verse 1, he says, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Why aren't we condemned? Because Christ and sin were condemned in our place. Death is condemned. Sin is condemned. It's gone. Instead, we live in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Back to Galatians. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. He's saying the same thing twice. If you live by the Spirit, then you are therefore doing what? Following the Spirit. They're the same thing. We must not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. The bottom line is that you have to live by the Spirit. The sinful nature, okay, is how you used to live. All right? Before you became a Christian, you had desires. Before I became a Christian, here's what I wanted. Okay? I wanted to be rich. I wanted a nice big house. I wanted a certain number of cars, trucks. I, what did I want? I think I wanted a Jeep and a motorcycle. I wanted a Ferrari. Um, and I, I don't know what else. I had this like dream house design. I still have the, the design at, at, at home. I had this huge, like, I had a, a, a pool. I had a big den downstairs with this glass wall that like fish swam in on the other side with the pool, like two, three story house, all this stuff, right? So, no, you can still have that. I'm not saying you can't, but anyways. That was my desire, okay? My burning desire. That's what I wanted to live for. I had some of the best stereo equipment you could have, some of the best camera equipment you could have, which by the way, all that stereo equipment, I don't own any of it and it's all broken. All the camera equipment, I still own a few pieces of it. Most of it uh, I no longer have and a lot of it's broken also. Okay, so you live your life for that, it's going to end up the same way pretty much, right? What happened when I got saved in 1993? Holy Spirit came into my life and desires change. All of a sudden, I want to go teach the Bible. What, where'd that come from? I thought I wanted stereos and cars and houses and, and to be a cop and all this type of stuff. And now I want to teach the Bible? Who gave me that desire? Yes, Jesus gave me that desire. God gave me that desire, exactly. Well, how come I didn't have that desire before that? Because I didn't have the Holy Spirit. But now, okay, I become saved. I listen to the scriptures. I read the Bible. I started reading the Bible all the time, read it from cover to cover. And now God's telling me things in my life. So well, why isn't God telling me stuff like that, Kevin? I don't know. Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Or are you just going by your old desires? to eat and watch TV and, and sleep and play games and uh, whatever else. Now, here's the thing. Is every one of those things bad? No. You were created to sleep. Sleeping is good. But too much sleeping is a God. You see, if you get too much good, G-O-O-D, remove it all and you got a God. And a God other than Jesus is a false God, which is idolatry, which is anti-Christ. You with me? No, you can't. 
got to just be according to the spirit. What does the spirit want? Okay? Every one of the things that I said previously. Eating. Does God want you to eat? No. Yes, yes, yes. he does. God wants you to eat. Okay? But if eating controls you, then it is no longer good and it becomes a God. Okay? Does God want you to work? Yes. Yes, he does. But if all you do is work, then work is no longer good in your life, it has become a God, which is idolatry and anti-Christ. Does God want you to have fun in life? Yes. Yes, he does. But if fun controls your life, then it has now become a God. And it's not good. It is evil. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? When they become controlling. God is the only God Therefore, he's the only one who should be controlling. Does that make sense? See, food, see, watch this, okay? Food, okay? Food is not God, right? Food is something created. So if food is controlling you and taking the place of God, then there's only how many gods? There's only God. Right? 
God says he created me, he created food, he wanted food to help nourish my body. So I try to eat food that I realize or I know will do good for my body, right? So if all I eat is junk food, then I don't have any what? Self-control. summertime with students, right, no school, or in the past, let me give you an example from my life, okay? So, in the past, I used to view two things as a hindrance to my life. That means they're in the way. I, I wish that they could be taken away. One was food. I was like, because food all it does is give me, you know, the, the nutrients I need so I can continue to work, right? So, I would eat as fast as I can and as quickly as I could and be done with it. I didn't even, like, probably taste it. I just shoveled it in my mouth. Okay? So, and sleep was the other one. Okay? Sleep was a waste of time, I thought. Alright? So I just sleep when I have to because I have to, but I would rather be doing something else. Okay? Well, both of those ideas were sin. Hang on, remember, I'm talking about me, not you, right? Those were simple ideas I did not understand. See, God created food to be good. I was thinking it was in the way. That's bad understanding. I didn't understand. I was dumb. God created sleep to be good. I was thinking it was in the way. I didn't understand. So I had wrong thinking, which is why we have to read the scriptures, so we can change how we think. And then we can change how we act, and therefore we change how we become like Jesus. Again, see... Your body needs sleep every day. You're a teenager, so you need eight to ten hours of sleep a day. Okay? And um, you also, generally speaking, should sleep at nighttime and not during the daytime. Daytime is made for being up and working, etc. Nighttime is generally speaking made for sleeping. That's why it's nighttime. Okay? So that's why they're up and you're asleep. Has to do with your body and the sun. God made it a certain way. It's, there's actually science to all this, on top of the fact that this is what you also see exemplified in the Bible. Okay? So, the point is that you got to take care of your body. That's self control. Right? So, sometimes I come home and I'm exhausted, and all I want to do is sit and just veg and watch TV. Right? And if it's a decent movie, I'll just watch, I can just watch a movie after movie after movie. Right? But is that self control? No, I'm exhausted, so my body needs what? Rest. Rest, which means I should go to bed instead of staying up and watching movies, right? So does that make sense? So that's, that's what you got to do, all right? Now sometimes things mess up, and you're like, oh, I can't sleep. I'm up all night, so I get up and read a book, and then I go back to sleep. All right, yeah. Okay, so self-control. So, but with your questions, these are good questions because the first thing you have to do is you have to decide, okay? Desires are my desires, spirit desires. What does God say about this? Okay, and remember, it's not a checklist, okay? It's not about legalism or the law. It's we want to become like who? Exactly. Did Jesus sometimes stay up late? Yes. Yes, he did. Yes. Read the Bible, he did. Did Jesus sometimes get up very early in the morning while it was still dark. Yes. yes, he did. Usually to pray from what we have in scripture, okay? So, did Jesus sometimes take naps? 
desires of the spirit. I didn't know we were going to talk so much about sleeping and stuff today. So, but are you guys with me on this? The bottom line is that we need to have self-control led by who? Yes, the Holy Spirit, okay? Spirit-led self-control, okay? You might even summarize it as spirit control, okay? Are you spirit-controlled in your life, or are you self-controlled in your life? You can just summarize the whole thing that way. Spirit or self-control, okay? And you said both? Yeah, that's probably the truth for all of us. And the problem is every time we get self-controlled. And so the point is that Jesus wants us to become 100% spirit-controlled. So when we get the tables off in just a minute, use this question that he just said. You could ask yourself, what percent of your life is spirit control and what percent is self-control? The goal is to get 100% on which one? Spirit control. Now, yeah, I kind of just reversed the whole thing because I said self and spirit on, on that. But when I, when I said self with kids, though, we're talking about your own selfish desires. Y'all good with me? Yes. Awesome. All right. Let's wrap this up. 
we had a lot of good questions and discussion today. Um, so the bottom line is we want to be controlled uh, by the Holy Spirit, okay, and not by our desires that don't line up with the Holy Spirit, okay? So when I say self-control, self-control biblically means to be spirit-led, okay, and not just self-led. Does that make sense to you all? And the question that was brought up, you summarized it pretty good for us, you know, what percent of your life is that spirit-led versus just like your self-led to go to sleep, right? Until then, no. Alright? So, alright. Let me pray for us, um, and then we'll spend a couple minutes in our table talk time, alright? Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy, and the fact that you actually equip us. You sent the Holy Spirit so that we don't just be by ourselves with our, our selfish desires, um, so that we don't have to try to just overpower them by ourselves, because we don't have the power to. Father, forgive us those times 